Hi, and welcome to episode seven of Coffee Cake and Kegels. Happy New Year! 2020 is finally upon us. It has been the most climactic experience ever. More than any other New Year, I feel. Oh, well, except for 2000, Y2K, when everyone thought the world was going to end. But so many memes and Facebook posts about, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. 2019, welcome 2020. So I have a question for you. We're six days in. How's it going? Really, you can't answer me. I wish I could hear you, but I can't. So (laughs) I first wanted to start with saying thank you so much for listening. And I know I say this at the end of every episode, but really it does mean so much to me. I started this podcast really, well, it was originally a blog and then, you know, morphed into this. But I started this really because I felt that things that I've been through could inspire other people, um, that other people can relate to them, make other people feel hope, and possibly even help you heal a little bit or, you know, begin your journey to wellness. So by you choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me means the world to me. And, you know, since coming out on Instagram and letting people know that I have a podcast, gaining some listeners and things like that, um, I am truly grateful. And also, I have been loving the feedback um, and the criticism, you know, what, and, and the recommendations of what you'd like to listen to, what you'd like to hear. I really am truly grateful. Um, this is a big learning experience for me and I'm just happy to have you on my journey. So thanks again. So today's topic is going to be, are you codependent? Woohoo! I know it's kind of heavy. And it's especially heavy for my first podcast of 2020, but we got to get through the heavy stuff, right? So I felt that this would really be informative and maybe eye-opening for some people. And I'm not judging anybody. I think you know that by now. I really, you know, I'm not a judgy judgy, but I am codependent and I have been working really, really hard on letting go of some of those symptoms with, I'm doing air quotes here, of codependency. Um, And some of them I was able to work through, some I still struggle with, and every now and then I gotta check myself before I wreck myself, if you know what I mean. So a little little side story, Um, I never knew I was codependent. Never. I mean, after all, I'm perfect, right? <laughs> Just kidding, of course. So when I was becoming a counselor and I was, um, I was taking my first course for my, you know, substance abuse counseling um, license, sure, uh, the class was family and substance abuse. And I remember the, you know, the teacher I can't say professor because she wasn't a professor, so I guess lecturer. Um, She was saying how this class was really going to kick up our shit. Her exact words. This class is going to kick up your shit. 
and I just left like okay whatever um yeah it kicked up my shit like a lot and then she told us to get this book it was a recommend a recommendation so and because I was that nerdy student because I went back to school at 37 so you know I was like that nerd who sat in the front and every word she said I wrote down she said to get the book codependent no more by Melody Beattie so of course I had to get this book and I I I mean I think it was the quickest read ever because I was just so intrigued by everything in this in the book and all the symptoms of codependency and why we behave this way and oh my god I just I was like holy crap I'm codependent like wow and so is my husband (laughs) so I don't I forget what chapter I was in but I was pretty deep into the book and I was crying I was hysterical crying reading it I guess because of all the aha as Oprah would say moments um so I ran up to the bedroom my husband was watching a show and I run upstairs and I'm crying and I asked him through tears why are we together And he, first of all, looked at me like I was crazy. I don't even think he heard what I said. He just sat there with his mouth, you know, agape. And he said, what? So I asked again, why are we together through my tears? And he looked at me and he said, because we love each other. And I said, no, because we're both codependent. And he looked at me, and then he responded with, well, of course we're codependent. I depend on you, and you depend on me. (sighs) He did not know what codependent meant. And you know what? He's not alone. A lot of people don't know what codependency is or what it really means. So let let me clear that up right now, because a lot of people don't know. Codependent behavior is... The the person who's codependent revolves their life, their needs, their wants, everything around another person. Okay? That's unhealthy. Dependent means that you can look at someone and they got your back and you got theirs. It's equal. That's healthy. You know, you could depend on somebody, right? Okay. So that's the difference. So... Codependency, that term started really when the whole, you know, when people realized that, you know, drinking daily and drinking, you know, drinking to excess and having it ruin your job and life and and all that other stuff is, is, you know, alcoholism. People then determined that codependency um, or codependence were the spouses of alcoholics. And this probably came about, I mean, I'm assuming in the 50s, the 40s and the 50s when Alcoholics Anonymous started and and things of that nature. So um, that's really where the whole term of codependency started. Um, Obviously now, today, it's, it's used all the time and in every different, you know, scenario. It's not just about people who are substance abusers, right? So... Codependency is a learned behavior. So you're not born codependent. So it's, you know, it's something that you learn and you develop. 
and it becomes something that we take with us well into adult life. Um, so in order to get, you know, to get into that, let me explain how this develops, how we learn to be codependent. And some of those ways are that we have damaging relationships with our parents. And that could be so many different, I mean, there's so many different variables here. So you can have a mother or father that's an alcoholic, um, a substance abuser. You can have a parent that is very sick. Um, You could have an abusive parent, verbally, physically, emotionally. Um, Basically what happens is the person who is the issue in the family, everyone caters to. Everybody wants to make them happy, keep them complacent, right? Out of fear. Or if they're, you know, a substance abuser, you don't want them to go on a bin on a binge or, you know, you're trying to keep you're trying to keep everything at peace. But the person closest to the person with the problem becomes the enabler. And that person is usually the most codependent. And it usually is a spouse. <clears throat> and if a spouse is not there, it's the oldest child, someone becomes that role. So speaking of these roles, I am going to explain them to you. So every, every family is a system, right? They, we're all interworking together. We're like a galaxy, okay? We all work together. We're all rotating in each other's orbits. And, you know, we're all together. But a family is like a mobile, that hangs over like hangs over a baby's you know crib you know it's all balanced until someone cuts part of the mobile off and then it becomes unbalanced and then all the roles shift a family is the same exact way and especially the roles in the family so let me talk to you a little bit about a closed family system so a closed family system is a family that has three main phrases that they live by. Don't think, don't speak, don't feel. Those are the three, that's their, those, those, that's their word of God. Those three exact phrases. Don't think, don't speak, don't feel. I was raised in a family setting like that. I, you know, my mom and dad were not physically abusive. They provided for all of our needs. Um, All of our monetary needs were met. Um, Never had to worry about where my next meal was coming from. But emotionally, I never got what I needed from my mother or my father. Um, They're a different generation. I guess you could say they're the baby boomer generation. Uh, They don't really believe in therapy or any kind of self-growth, really. Um, They work, they provide for their families, and they go to bed. So when things were, you know, when I didn't feel certain ways or whatever, I really wasn't able to express my feelings. 
I never really felt loved. And I'm not saying this to be woe is me or whatever, but I really didn't feel loved as a child. And I know my mom and dad would be like, even though I did discuss this with them when I was in therapy, but, um, (laughs) you know, they would be like, how, how, how could you not feel loved? We love you. And I know they do love me. I know they do. I mean, I, I learned this as an adult and I, you know, when I was in therapy and working on all my shit, I do know they love me. And I, I do know they tried their best, but as a child, I didn't feel that. So, you know, th- things of that nature cause you to shut down emotionally and Hey, codependency, here I am <laughs> waiting for you. But, um, Aside from that, basically, when we're raised in a closed family setting, we are setting ourselves up for, you know, codependent behavior, emotional damage, you know, just stuff that's really damaging and can ruin potential relationships, friendships, everything when we become adults. In an open family setting, they don't live by those three phrases they talk about their problems. They, they, you know, they will ask you like, how do you feel? Tell me how you're feeling about it. Very different, just very different. And like I said, generations have a lot to do with that because some things are completely taboo from certain generations. Like, like I said, my parents' generation, they would never go for therapy. It's just not, it's just not something they do. You know, they suck it up. And the generation before that, were their parents who were, you know, Great Depression babies. And hello, I mean, you did not complain about your problems, you know? So just very, very different. So in a closed family setting, um, everyone takes on a role. Now, usually these roles are in reference to substance abuse, but in all honesty, like I said, there was no substance abuse in, in my home, you know, growing up. But yet these roles can be seen in any family because they were seen in mine where there was somewhat of emotional abuse. So that was, you know, not done purposely. And a lot of times when we emotionally abuse others, it's not done purposely. We don't mean to do it. We we're you know, we're we're going on years and years and years of our own trauma and the way we, we respond, I don't know why I can't speak today, but the way we respond to trauma, to our trauma, <clears throat> is our way of protecting ourselves. So, you know, lots and lots and lots of work has to be done here to, to kind of like break all of these behaviors and to rewire our brains and, and change the way we respond and react. So there are a few roles and you know roles in every family and I just want to explain that these roles can be reversed people can have you know a family member can have more than one role I'll explain what that means um in my own you know as in my own personal reference so the first role is the enabler I had said that a little while ago the enabler is the person closest to the family member with an issue. So in my family, my ena- the enabler was my father. Um, he always wanted to make my mother happy. He, he would do anything for her. He truly does adore her. You know, but, you know, my mother maybe, you know, wasn't always that emotionally connected. And my father couldn't see that. 
when it came to the kids or anything. He just, you know, he just wanted to make her happy. Enablers, a lot of times, are very resentful people. They are angry. They get sick a lot. Um, they could get sick a lot. They, they um, could just, you know, they could be jealous. Now, my father is not a jealous person. My dad is not that kind. He's not angry. He's not resentful. But my mother is the adult child of an alcoholic. So my mother is an enabler. She had a sister who was a substance abuser and would send her money and would, you know, (laughs) would help her out, things like that. So my mother has that own role as well. Um, Then there's the hero. That's usually the oldest child, but it really, like I said, could take on any person in the family. They're the person who wants to be the best. They want to be the best student. If they play sports, they want to be the best athlete. They really want to show their parents, like, you could be proud of me. I'm going to save this whole family. Like, you know, especially if there is someone who's addicted, you know, to a substance or whatever. You know, they're trying to show the enabler, like, look at me. I can make these problems go away because I'm so amazing and I'm making you proud. You know, and that person usually does grow up to be that way. (laughs) You know, I mean, of course, like I said, roles can change. That hero can become the enabler. And that does happen a lot. But, you know, they will grow up and take on this role as an adult. And, you know, it's sad because you're always living up to someone else's expectations, not your own. Then there's the scapegoat. That's the person in the family who always gets into trouble. So in my family, like I said, my dad was a little bit of an enabler, but my mother was also an enabler to her own family. My older sister was the hero. She got 105, I think, on on one of her tests, and her teacher like called my parents to tell them how amazing she was. She would come home before curfew. She never did anything really, you know, me and my sisters were pretty much, we followed the rules, right? Because a close family setting is also somewhat rigid, so we really mostly followed the rules, except for my sis, my middle sister. She was the family scapegoat. Now, usually, the scapegoat gets in trouble with the law or does something like that, um, is always getting into trouble. My sister was not like that. However, she wouldn't come home when she was supposed to come home. You know, little things like that. You know, so, but I, but every family has these roles to some extent. Then we have the lost child, and that was me. No one sees or hears a peep really from this person, this child. They're usually off in the distance, they don't cause any trouble, they don't want anyone even to know they're there. Um, you know, they just try to stay out of the way. And usually the person who is the problem and the enabler love that because they don't have to worry about that kid. Like that kid's good, even though that kid is not good. That kid's an emotional basket case. And then the last role is the clown. That's the kid that makes everybody laugh and is the life of the party and no one ever has to worry about them either because they're funny. No, There's nothing wrong with them. They use humor. And 
let's let's think about people who always use humor to get through things. Um, yeah, I know it's good to be positive when bad things happen and to be able to laugh at yourself. But Robin Williams used humor and what happened to him, right? So it's not something to make jokes about. And in all honesty, the person who's usually laughing on the outside is not on the inside. So, you know, and unfortunately, we then, you know, we grow, we grow up and we either stay stuck in these roles or they reverse or we meet someone and then, you know, we take on the, uh, you know, we become enablers ourselves and that could happen, you know? So, so how do you know if you're codependent? Now that you know the family roles, you know, and I'm sure you're sitting in your head and your wheels are going, you're thinking about, you know, oh my God, what role am I in, in my own family? Cause that's how I felt when I learned all this. I was, you know, I knew it. I, and I did have different roles at different times, you know, so I was the lost child and then I, I became the hero because I had to, you know, once I graduated college, I had to be, I wanted to be the best at everything I did and everything I touched. And, you know, at one point I was also the clown. I would make my friends laugh. I would try to make, you know, everyone, ha, 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 Stacy's so funny, ha, ha, ha. But really, I wasn't inside, you know. I really was emotionally torn up. So how do we know if we're codependent? So there's a list here. <sighs> brace yourself. Or brace yourselves. Um, people who are codependent usually have low self-esteem. Uh, or they appear as if they have high self-esteem, but really have such self-loathing that they don't. Um, Usually they are people pleasers. I was a big one. So that one really hits home with me. I could never say no. Um, Saying no would cause me great anxiety. And I even found myself lying to people and, you know, making excuses. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago, I'm like, I'm done doing that. I'm done. But it took me a long time because it, it made me feel bad to tell people no, which is freaking ridiculous, ridiculous. But I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Codependents have no boundaries at all or really poor boundaries they feel responsible for other people's feelings. So if someone comes home and they had a bad day, the first thing a codependent would say is, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Sorry for what? And I've done this. (laughs) I've done this. Sorry for what? (laughs) You weren't there. You weren't there during the day. You have nothing to do with it. So, you know, that's codependents take ownership for other people's feelings. And they put other people's needs before their own. So... If, you know, like for myself, I'm a mom. I know my daily routine. I have to, you know, cook, clean, whatever, do laundry, you know. And then I say to myself, well, I can't, I can't go to the gym because I have to do everything. I have to do something for everyone else. And we all know that's not really true, right? Um, this is, I'm a mom. <laughs> this is what moms do. And I could absolutely make time 
to go to the gym, but obviously I'm making excuses, right? So, um, and using other people's needs as that excuse also codependence because we are, we could be really resentful people too. Um, we make excuses for other people's bad behaviors. Um, sometimes they feel trapped in their own relationships and they want to really get out of them. Even though they're not, they're not bad relationships. A lot of times they're not abusive. You know, a lot of times the partner is really a great person, but in their minds, they feel trapped. Codependents are caretakers. They want to fix everyone's problems. And I was there too. I wanted to save the world and help everybody I could. And it took me a long time to realize I can't save anyone. I can't. As, as a counselor, I can give people tools to help themselves, but I can't save anybody. And I really, I really learned that when I had clients die. When I had a client die, I realized my words can't save anybody. You know, the work can't save you. You have to save you. Codependents love to control. So I'm going to say something here. I used to do this. I used to try to control my husband um, and his life and everything. So here's the deal. Love does not equal control at all. If you try to control your partner, it's not coming from a place of love. And it's not because you care about them. It's, it's not. It's because you truly, and that's, this is it, you want to control them. Period. Amen. That's it. Okay? Sorry, I'm getting like aggressive, but it's, it's really important to understand this. If you have a partner that you need to control their drinking or their spending or things like that, then maybe you need to reevaluate that relationship because they need help clearly in other areas of their own lives. You can't fix it by controlling them. You can't. So if you're in a situation like that now, please reevaluate. Codependents have really poor communication skills. They cannot explain their needs. They can't because their needs don't matter. Codependents are dependent. And I know I said before that dependent is a positive, whereas codependency is a negative. But hear me out. Codependents need other people to like them. They want to be depended on. But then when, they're, when you depend on them, they get resentful, angry, they feel frustrated, but yet they need to feel like you like them. They want to feel good about themselves because they fear being abandoned or rejected. Codependents live in denial. They don't believe they have a problem. They think everything is fine, status quo. Codependents also have intimacy issues. Now, I know I'm being personal here, but I can relate to this too. Because codependents feel shame and they have very weak boundaries. A lot of times a codependent's partner will complain, you're unavailable to me. It's because codependents fear being close. Because when you 
you know, give yourself to someone else intimately. And I'm not meaning, I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about intimacy, which is touching, hugging. It's so much more than just sex, right? So they just, codependents, you know, don't want to be abandoned and they fear that. So if they let you see into their soul and you decide you don't like what you see, you're going to leave them. So it's really difficult for them to have healthy, intimate relationships. A lot of times they'll have one night stands because they know nothing's coming out of it. You know, so, and codependents also lack emotional control. So they blow up, you know, they, they will overreact and, you know, things of that nature because they're getting they're, they feel pushed into a corner. They have to defend themselves, you know? So that's another, that's another one. And that's the last one I'm going to tell you because if you want to know if you're truly codependent, you can, of course, buy that book, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. Or if you're already in therapy, I'm sure your therapist has made you aware already of what need you know what needs work. So, you know, how can how can you heal from codependency and the family system, like the closed family system? So, obviously, the first way is to recognize it. To know and to understand and to see your behavior and where it stems from. To differentiate your needs from your wants, that's really important. Do you know what you need? Think about it. Do you really know what you need as opposed to what you want? Right? So what do you need from your partner? That's a great non-resolution. I hate resolutions, but... That's a great non-resolution resolution resolution, is to write a list of what you need from your partner and then tell them. I mean, I'm sure if you are in a healthy, loving relationship, that partner would be more than willing to give you what you need. And, you know, the same goes for you. What does your partner need from you? Another way to heal is therapy. There is no shame in getting help. There is no shame. The only shame is not getting help. So, you know, go to therapy. Learn different ways to cope with behaviors. Break the cycle. Especially if you don't have children yet. Don't you want to break that cycle before you do? Um, another one is to establish boundaries they're really hard to do and the holidays just passed and you know sometimes family doesn't have boundaries they say things that are completely inappropriate or they say your personal business to other people or whatever the case is learn to establish boundaries if you know recently I just had an experience where I had to establish a boundary I said no to something that I normally would have said yes to. And I would have felt angry after saying yes and then doing it. 
So I said no. And yeah, I felt guilt for a, for a second. All right, maybe a little bit more, maybe like three minutes. And I had to really self-talk my way out of that because I said no. I didn't want to do something. And I actually stuck to my word and I felt good afterwards. You know, when I talked myself out of feeling that guilt, I felt really good that I made the right choice. And it protected my own emotional well-being. And that's what we're about, guys. We want to protect ourselves in a healthy way. Not running away from our problems. You know, not, um, you know, immersing ourselves in work because, oh, I'm too busy. You know how many times I hear people tell me, oh, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I, I work too much. I'm too busy. Bullshit. Bullshit. That's avoidance. You're avoiding everything. You know, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. We can all be too busy then, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's avoidance. So now that 2020 is here, there are so many ways for you to try and help yourself and grow emotionally and remove those blocks, you know, that have been blocking you your whole life. You know, a lot of times codependents don't stick to goals because they put other people's goals ahead of theirs. They don't make things happen. They stay complacent. I've been there. And um, it's time to change, right? I always say it's the journey to wellness and it really is your wellness. Your well-being matters. You matter. So once again, thank you for listening And I really hope you guys have a great day and happy new year.